0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek ad number 426 for Sunday, November 25th, 2012.
1: And welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek of the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in your cool stuff found, we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share our tips, we pile up the cool stuff found for the next show, and we'll explain a little more about that uh, later on in this show. And all together, we try to learn something new each and every time we come here, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here, in increasingly chilly, Fairfield,
0: Connecticut, John F. Braun. How you doing, John? I'm chilly. Well, actually, I'm not. No, I turn, turn the heat up. Well, that's Before good. I came into the, the office, or what I like to call the office. Yeah, I came into the studio, and you know, I have. A, oh, you have a studio. You know,
1: maybe I'll call this a. No, I can't call it a studio. Well, this is actually. I mean, this is you know, this is like a rehearsal studio and a recording.
0: Oh, I know you have you yeah. have musical uh, 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 instruments and,
1: and call it a studio. Yeah, and Rolex tiles on the walls, and you know, and it's soundproofed and everything. But uh, but anyway, I, you know I have a programmable thermostat in here, but it's I I gotta set it to come on a little earlier because it's only like fifty six right now. But anyway, hey, good news! Uh, my throat is feeling like a thousand percent better. This past week, I, I I I crossed the I don't know whatever whatever threshold it was that I needed to cross, and it's still not yeah. perfect, but no, feeling way better. Quite as raspy. Yeah, it's feeling good. I made it through a gig on Friday night but anyway. Oh. So, yeah. Oh, so you All right, but you're taking your medicine and uh Yeah. 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 So it's good. Um ah, let's just get right into the show. Let's uh We've got lots of stuff to tell you about. This this will be um we will not be recording next week because I'm going to be away. We'll talk a little bit about what we're going to do, but uh we will be back on December 9th. So for those of you you can savor this, hopefully, between uh, between now and then. Uh, Kevin writes, the App Store license allows you to use an app on all household machines you personally have control of. And We're talking about the Mac App Store license. Uh says, I originally had iPhoto 8 and decided to upgrade after I moved to Mountain Lion and upgraded slash bought iPhoto 11. The download is currently going, but it is over one gig in size, and I have three machines to install it on. I'm aware that using the App Store on each machine will allow me to re-download it for each machine, but I would prefer not to unnecessarily use another three gigs of bandwidth for just one one gig file. My question is, is there any way to copy the app between computers, either by sneaker net or over my LAN? Could I just copy the app across between applications folders? Hopefully you can help prevent me from going through beating up my ISP. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, Kevin, that you can do that. Um, it uh, it it just works. You copy the app from one Mac to the other. And uh, and in my experience, you are good to go. Now, if that Mac had not been signed in, if that if the Mac app store on that Mac to which you were copying it, had not been signed into your account, you may be prompted to sign in, but I don't even know if that's going to happen. But, uh, but it definitely will work copying from, from one Mac to the other. So yeah, you can just download it to one. And that's the nice part about, you know, the application bundles that we live with here on the Mac is that uh, certainly anything you get from the Mac app store is going to be just one bundle. So if you go into the applications folder, and copy it from there. You can copy it. Like you said, you, if you want to use sneaker net and, and copy it to a USB stick and then just walk it to the other Mac, that's fine. Or of course you can do it across your, uh, your local area network. If, if you're so inclined and so, and you desire to do it. So it's good stuff.
0: So that's the technical aspect of it, Dave. Yeah. And now I did find a little ditty here from, uh, this, this Jason Snell guy. I don't know if you've heard of him. I, yeah. I, I like Jason. He's a good friend of mine. <laughs> Oh, I know. Okay. Yeah, he writes He writes for this uh, Mac publication. I can't remember which one. <laughs> I've met him too, but uh, yeah, and he writes good stuff. But I did find a Macworld article from our friend Jason, and it does make some commentary here. Now, what, what, while what you say is technically correct, Dave, he he does bring up some interesting points here in an article called Mac App Store Licensing and Copy Protection Explained. And so while you can certainly technically do this, um well, you just got to read the license agreement. Okay. I believe normally you're allowed to install up to five machines, I think, is typically the limit and stuff like that legally. But there's nothing technically except for one thing he mentions, but a lot of people don't do this, is that apps can uh, phone home if they'd like to. I guess that's the choice of the, uh, of the app developer right? and ask for authentication or some other, some other means of uh, uh, authenticating yourself and saying that you're a legitimate owner of that software. But it seems a lot of programs don't. In that what you say is, is for the most part true is that you can. And I think part of that also has to do with what I guess their insistence was on on sandboxing, which is that the app should be self-contained. So if you copy it,
1: everything should work as expected, whereas traditional apps that that may not be the case. That's right. It, depending on how it was built. But that's right. Yeah. Anything that comes from the Mac App Store is just going to be that one bundle. It's not going it, to it may once it runs, create it. In fact, I'm sure it would create its own sandbox container. But uh, but even that is just. Temporary data or preference data and uh, not um, not anything required to run the app. And, you know, that does bring up a good uh, opportunity for a reminder. We have all become used to troubleshooting. uh, If there's a problem with uh, an app and you want to go and muck with the preferences or or what have you for that app. uh, We all learned to go into our home folder, our library folder, and then into application support. And then find the folder for the app and uh, and either delete the entire folder for the app or go in and, and pick out bits and pieces uh, of of that. And and likewise, if we wanted to delete an app's preferences, we all had learned to go into home library preferences and uh, and and remove the preferences for that app there. However, now that we are in uh, the land of apps, potentially, but not always being sandboxed. That's not the case if they are sandboxed. And this includes not only third-party apps that come from the Mac app store, but also like mail from Apple. Uh, There's a lot of data that's not stored in what we would consider the normal places. It is now stored in the home library containers folder. And, uh, and then within that you'll find folders for each sandboxed app. And then within that. So if you go into home library containers and then say com.apple.mail, Uh, You'll find a data folder and inside the data folder, then you'll find another library folder and another application support folder and another preferences folder. And that's where all that stuff is. So it it sort of mimics the hierarchy that we were used to seeing uh, without the container. But the container allows that hierarchy to exist. But it is sandboxed, meaning only that app is allowed to go and monkey with any of the data in there. So just a good reminder because I get caught by it sometimes I'm troubleshooting. It's like, where is that male preferences? Oh yeah, that's right. Container. Yeah. I
0: did. You know, we've talked about just, it, but I always forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Well I do too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you reminded me because I looked and yeah, so I see, uh, uh, Ambrosia SW, uh, snaps pro, which they finally released the new version that works with mountain lion. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> and a few other apps in here. Actually, it's a, the, the most of the other things I see in here are Preview, text edit, and photo stream. So other than that, that's kind of weird. At least in this one machine, that all, all I see is Ambrosia and Apple
1: in yeah. the uh, Containers folder. Hmm. Yeah, I see Growl and Agile Bits because I use Growl and uh, and One Password. So you must not have updated to the new version of Growl, John.
0: Well, actually, this is uh, you know it could be because this is on my um, ten. Uh, 7 machine.
1: Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: Which has the App Store, but maybe it's not fully employed, or I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm probably not using as many apps uh, right. from the App Store on here as I am right. on oh. my uh, newer machine. Okay. Yeah. Or newer OS.
1: Right. Because oddly enough, I have the newer OS on the older machine. Go figure that out. All right. I'll try and figure it out. <laughs> In the meanwhile, we'll answer Graham's question. Graham writes, my Google fingers seem to be failing on this one. If one has a Gmail account set up on an iPhone and a particular folder seems to not contain all the messages it should, even after doing the drag down until the bubble pops thing. Is there any way to force a dialogue along the lines of don't give me a differential status? Just give me everything you have other than deleting and readding the whole account. So this is, uh, this is interesting. It, it, it's good in that it falls into the category of this doesn't happen to me. Uh, and by, by good, I mean that it shouldn't happen to you, which means in theory, at least there's a solution somewhere. Uh, one thing I've found with mail app, and this is again, just sort of general troubleshooting, but might help you, Grim, is that uh, it sometimes gets stuck between checks. Are you, uh, is that is that noise on your end, John? I guess it is. Uh, yeah. I just told to stop. Okay. Um, the, uh, Mail sometimes gets stuck for me between checks, which means, uh, you know, it, it it's trying to check. And this usually happens as I'm on like a, a, a weak cellular connection or uh, potentially, you know, moving from Wi-Fi to cellular or, or what have you. And it just it never seems to be able to recover from this. Hours later, it'll still be stuck, you know, not being able to check mail. And the only way that I can get it to actually check is to quit mail, to force quit it. Now, the, the easy way, well, the way I typically do it is to, uh, go, uh, out of the app. So back to the, 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 uh, home screen and then hold down on any app to, uh, to get that, uh, that to get us into jiggly jiggly mode. Hang on. Why, why isn't it, why isn't it doing this right? So I actually, I double tap on the home button first to, and then, uh, and then I hold down on, on say mail or any app down in there, down there in the trough. And then I hit the, uh, the little minus sign on mail that kills it off. And, uh, and, and then you can relaunch it. And oftentimes that will fix this, this sort of refresh of, of that particular mailbox. Um, that's, that's the best way I know of to, uh, to get this to happen. Have you ever experienced it, John? i'm
0: trying to remember there where the heck is it now is it in notifications but there is a place where you can set your notification method i'm trying to remember where
1: this isn't so much notifications this is just actually checking mail
0: yeah no i get that and i know i know that now uh, one thing i can mention that sometime well no, I mean, there's two views of mail. There's inboxes and accounts. Sometimes I found that I have to go to accounts in order to access things that are not otherwise visible. Ah. If I go to the inboxes section in mailboxes on an iOS device, or at least on my iPhone 4. So yeah, no, I mean, doing the, you know, you know, the stretchy thing should, I mean, it, it, it should be initiating a check for new stuff. So.
1: Right. Yeah, it just it, it like I said for me, if it gets stuck in uh, in the middle, it doesn't work. Uh, while we're talking about force quitting apps, uh, mm. there there is another way of force quitting an iOS app, and and of course the way I just described, you have to be out of the app uh, to force quit it because if you're trying to quit from the the system trough there, it doesn't uh, it doesn't work because the app's not there if you're in it. It's the active app. So the the way to quit an active app, and this is really handy if you have an app that's stuck, that you can't get out of, that you'd otherwise need to reboot uh, your phone, is you actually start down the process of rebooting your phone. You press and hold the power button at the top of the device, right, and and wait until that slide to power off thing appears, then uh, release the power button and press and hold the home button. And after a few minutes, sorry, after a few seconds, uh, most likely, let me try this here. So I'm in power off mode. Now I move and I hold the home button and look at that. Yep. You hold that for a couple of seconds and then it will bring you back to the home screen and you'll see your app quit. So that's a way to force quit an app that's stuck or to force quit the app that you're in if you want to do it that way. So that's just handy little tidbits. You know, Uh, there's a good life hacker article that, that describes that, that we will. Put in the show notes, but wow, uh, yeah. that's a really good secret
0: handshake. Because typically, what I'll do is just hit the home button, where of course you're at the main screen. Then do the double tap, and then you'll get the uh, you know can get to the jiggly mode.
1: Right. But no, I like that one. That's a uh, hmm. yeah. Well, I'm trying to uh, you know so- a way
0: of another way of getting there.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, trying to uh, to to add some. Add as much as we can here because we're going to be gone for two you know,
0: yeah. Well You know what I've found lately, Dave, though, is that I don't know what it is. I've actually been noticing now. either. I mean, I've had this phone for about two years now, but 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 I, I've i been noticing that more often than not, if I leave it sitting, I usually leave it sitting on the nightstand, Um, then I'll wake up and the battery will be dead. Now, I know the battery, like any rechargeable battery, dies, but it just seems that. Sometimes if I quit all my apps, now, now some people will shake their fists and say, well, that's not the way iOS is supposed to work. But I've noticed that if I have apps, even if they're not actively running, but they do things, you know, like navigation and other things, I, I don't know. But it just seems if I have a lot of apps running and I, you know, just hit the power button to kind of, you know, really sleep it rather than, you know, totally shut it off, uh, the battery will be drained in the morning. Yep. And, and I, you know, I would expect that any iPhone, battery because of its size should last you, you know, at least a day. <laughs> yeah. But I find a lot of times that's not the case, especially if they're apps, which I think are doing secret things in the background and, and probably chewing either Wi-Fi or, or 3G bandwidth. And and I think that those are the two biggest offenders as far as things that will run your battery down quicker than you expect is, yeah. is data access, right? So. Yeah. 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 No, that's right. No, I've just noticed that I think I, I, I gotta, I gotta gauge this, but I think I'm considering a do it yourself battery replacement for this thing. I uh, mean, does, does it sound right to you that, well, you know, I mean, I've had it. Well, I, I got this phone pretty much when it came out and I think it's been out for about two years, right? So yeah, I mean, would you expect this? Yeah. Would you expect this battery to, to, to be, because I charge and recharge like, like crazy almost daily.
1: So you, you, I think your battery should still be kicking butt actually. Cause I, I bought huh, an okay. iPhone four the day it came out. Um, I, of course, replaced it with the 4s cause I'm crazy and then replaced that with the five, but the four has remained in service since the day that I bought it. It moved first to my mm-hmm. wife and now my son who was on the show last week has that iPhone four. So, uh, and it's still the battery. It, we, he is the envy of the household because the iPhone four, <laughs> no, it truly, it, it had the best battery life cause it had a big honking space for a battery in there. It didn't have the, you know, the dual core stuff that we brought in with the 4s. And, and, and the five. So, you know, it's not chewing the battery. He can go days without needing to charge. And uh, and all of us kind of have to, you know, mm. if we don't charge every day. We're 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 scrambling by the end of day, too. So um, but what I will point out to you is something that we talked about um, shortly after I got my iPhone five. And that is that you can see what apps are using the uh, navigation or, or whatever in the in the uh, in the background by and you can get logs about this by going to uh settings general about and then at the bottom of that uh second from the bottom you'll see diagnostics and usage if you turn on automatically send then you get uh, at the bottom of that window diagnostics and usage data and you'll get all kinds of different things in here but the one that was handy to me were the uh the daily AWDD uh logs and by looking at those I started to notice what you're looking for is bundle ID and uh, and it's, it's a mess reading through this of course, but you'll see that there's different apps that, that show
0: WDD. Okay.
1: Yeah. Got it. And you'll see that there's different apps that show up uh, in there. And of course, com dot apple dot whatever apps are Apple apps. But if you see com dot, you know, uh, somebody else, then take a look and it could be, you know, like say Instagram, right. That wants to know your location. And, and as long as the times match up and you say, yeah, that's, that's reasonable that Instagram checked my location, then, then it's not a problem. But like I said, I found one app that, that I hadn't even launched on my iPhone five ever, but it had just moved onto it via my backup restore. And, uh, and it was checking location, you know, every 10, 15 minutes. And it was, it made a huge difference in my battery just removing it. So anyway, so yeah, that's, your, look at
0: these messages. Oh, they have things like Sys mode, CDMA and oh, mm-hmm. wow. yeah, this is geeky stuff. It's really geeky. And also, yeah. and also in our chat room, which uh, if you don't know about our chat room, because I don't think we talked about it, Dave. That's no, that's the, right. If you'd like to know about it. Say hi well, to everybody in the chat room, John. <laughs> so how do you get to the chat room? Which is uh, Dave and I put together something uh, extra for you all. Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> Which is, uh, I think it's a, a com slash stream. Correct. Maybe? Yeah, that's right. Ah, good. But you go there, you can not only listen to us. While we record the interact show live. With us yep. on, uh But you can interact with us using uh, IRC, which has been around forever, or at
1: least as long as I can recall. Yeah. It might be older than us, John. I don't
0: know. Excellent. But, uh, but uh, so uh, not allowed to chat on app says... <laughs> Is that, I guess that's his handle. That's his handle. But he basically said, but he said something good, which is a review your settings and location services, which is certainly a good thing is that location services, uh, as I suggested, uh, is something that can uh, take up, well, I guess the, the GPS circuitry is doing that. So if you don't want or need an app to know where you are, then go into location services and shut it off, which I'll do occasionally for the camera, just because with the camera app, if you take a picture and location services are on, it will
1: embed your, a location which you may or may not want yeah that's right that's right so yeah there's two reasons to turn off location uh if you don't want it and also if uh, you don't need it uh, it can save your battery cool yeah so uh all right uh steven has a tip while we're in tip mode he said uh i wanted to mention this a few shows back since the topic came up again uh, recently in show 425, here's what I used to quickly send a link to a web page from Safari. Simply hit Command Shift I from the page you want to send, and this will fire up Mail app and start a new message with the link right in there. So he says you can use also use Command I to send the full page instead of a link. Good stuff. He says when you go to the <laughs> File menu in Safari and hover your mouse over the Share entry to get the flyout menu, press the Shift key to see the email this page entry becomes email link to this page. And that's where that shortcut lives. So you yeah, have file share and then, uh, and and then the shift key changes it from email this page to email uh, link to this page. So it's good stuff. Or, man. or if you're on the prior, because I'm looking, Oh, that's again, right. On
0: my, uh, well, I'm looking now on my uh, machine running. Uh, so let's go about Safari 602 on my older OS machine, Dave. Yep. Because I want to maintain at least a version back because I know not all our listeners are, are hip, cool cats and want to install the latest thing. But in the file menu on, on this version of Safari, it actually because, you know, I was wondering that I didn't see it explicitly on um, my mountain lion machine on Safari, but I did see it on the one on my uh, that's in front of me right now. And it has mail contents of this page. Because I'm like, how? Uh, what wizardry was used to find this key combination? Because normally it should be in one of the menus uh, expressed here. And at least in the file menu here, it says mail contents of this page or mail link to this page. I think it's pointed out if you hold down. one oh no. Shift does nothing for those. But I don't see those on my other machine, Dave.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So... Oh no,
0: no. No, okay. It's
1: a share sub menu. Okay. It's a, it, yeah, in in Mountain Lion or current version of Safari, it's a share sub menu. Yeah. Oh, and then it has not only
0: email but message Twitter and Facebook. Look at that. Right. Slick. Yavo.
1: Yeah, all... all right now. And I guess you know, it's if a... you want to add your own keyboard shortcuts to that menu, say you want to uh, share to Twitter. With a keyboard shortcut, a webpage, Twitter, you can do that. You can go to the, I'm, I'm flying without a net here, John, but you can go to the uh, keyboard system preference pane, mm-hmm. right? And go to uh, application shortcuts. And then you can uh, click the plus key there. And if you only want to add this shortcut for Safari, which you probably do, you choose Safari from the application drop down. And then you go to the menu title. So this is going to be, I believe the menu title of this is just going to be Twitter. Uh, and so you type in and it, it seems strange, but you actually type in Twitter and I'm going to test this to make sure this works. Cause like I said, we're flying without a net. So uh, we're typing the Twitter command and then I'm going to make it uh, command option T and we'll see if that works. And so I say add, And now I go back to Safari and I look in the share menu and sure enough, command option T now lives to the right of Twitter in that menu. And if I say command option T, boom, it comes up and tells me, of course, I have no Twitter account configured on this Mac, but, uh, but had I a a Twitter account configured on this particular Mac, it would work brilliantly. So that's how you do that too. It's all about the extra stuff. Yeah. Well, (laughs) It's just the general rule of life. It's it always is. about the extra stuff. Mm-hmm. Never settle for just the standard package. You so want to spe- get the extra stuff. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of never settling, um, John, listener John, has a question about sound, and I'm, I'm curious as to where we take this one. You want to you start with it, John? I, I will start with it, because this is fascinating to me. Go.
0: Kind of. Well, whatever. So, John says, Happy Thanksgiving. And yes, it was a good Thanksgiving. Much was eaten and discussed and all that. Um, anyways, as I sit here working with nothing to do belly full and fighting the urge to disappear and take a nap, I figured I'd knock off some of the things I maybe need to get for the past few months. Here's my problem. Our iMac is located in the great room. Our TV is also located in that room. Whenever our kids are on the iMac they're annoying us with system sounds, music, etc. while we're watching TV. We'd like to be able to disable sounds on the guest account if possible to eliminate this annoyance. Is it possible and if so how? So, m- maybe as the the last part of the discussion Dave. I think this this is a uh, it could be a parenting uh, or child management issue. Mm-hmm. But um l- let's let's take it from the technological point of view here. Sure. <laughs> First, because well, that's what we're good at. That's right. Yeah, that's Family. right. Family. Yeah. So, obviously, number one here, or maybe not obviously, but if you don't know about this, or there are a couple of ways on the Mac, the default ways to shut off the sound. One is through the OS. So, if you go to System Preferences, Sound, you will see, and then you will see some sub tabs here, and either in the Output or the Sound Effects section, you will see on the bottom. It lets you set the output volume, and there is a little box mute well if you check that box that will mute the sound you should not hear any sounds from anything if you do that number two depending on the type of keyboard you have you can also engage mute mode um, which i think is typically f10 or there's a either a special key because i'm looking at two different keyboards right now and i see two different options so there's a quick way to do it through the keyboard now, depending on the, the level of cleverness of the young whippersnappers that are playing with the machine, they may be able to defeat this uh, quite easily by basically watching you and just doing what you did, because <laughs> it'll reverse it. Or hitting the, so, or hitting the, the, just the, the volume buttons on the keyboard, right? Right. So right. the volume buttons will re-enable sound. Uh, the, yes, correct. Uh, or I think hitting the mute key. So right now, if I hit the mute key, all right, I'm muted. Yeah. So you're correct. Now, we're going to get hardcore here, Dave, or I'm going to get hardcore because here's the way you could and then we'll t- I don't know if we're going to talk about the parenting aspect here. No, I, ha- I have like, some other places to take this because I just Go be ahead. like, hey, will you kids just turn that down. But, you know, that's, that's uh, no, we're again, we're, we're solving technology problems. Right. The other way. And this extends to a lot of things here. And so warning, warning, danger, danger. This gets dangerous because you're mucking about with the OS. But I did find some articles that suggested, and and I've done this in the past as well. If there's a piece of hardware, and that's why I said, Dave, this question may dovetail into other questions about disabling hardware. Okay. Uh, Basically, the way that macOS maps what the hardware can do to what the software can take advantage of is a kernel extension. And where are those stored, you may ask? Well, they're stored in system slash system slash library sa- slash extensions for the most part. Say that three times fast. So in this case, if you go into that folder now, number one, if you're going to in the extensions folder and changing anything, please make a backup of whatever you're going to muck with. So but once you do make a copy of whatever it is, then. What you may want to try, and again, this is getting extreme, but it's going to keep those whippersnappers from figuring it out, or at least slow them down. <laughs> is uh, there there is a uh, extension called ioaudiofamily.kext? Kext being kernel extension, and there may also be one called ioaudio2family.kext. And as far as I can tell, if you remove those kernel extensions, uh, your Mac will then lose the ability to communicate with the sound hardware. Because that kernel extension is the link between the hardware and the OS to make sound. So,
1: give that a shot. <laughs> I, I think um, if you're going to do it's that, it's extreme.
0: And and again, be cautious because I just found references to it, and I'm like, you know, that kind of makes sense from a technology standpoint in that these are the files that link the hardware and software. So why not remove them and see what happens? But you know you be careful. Make a backup. (laughs) If you're going to mess with anything in the uh, kernel extensions folder or the extensions folder, because uh, uh, for the most part, what's in there is stuff from the macOS, but uh, third parties may install things there as well, which sometimes you may need to get to and maybe even remove if things start misbehaving. So that's why I'm I'm gingerly (laughs) pointing people to to looking in
1: here and perhaps removing things to, to address issues. So I found uh, a Apple uh, support discussion article mm-hmm. uh, or uh, forum thread about this, and they recommend they actually somebody said that they did this and they had to remove more than just the IO audio family KEXT, Oh, or they did okay. remove more than that. Now, whether they had to or not uh, remains to be seen. But the other thing they found they had to do was you have to rebuild the uh, kernel extension cache before or, or commonly referred to as the KEXT cache. Uh, before Ah. this will take effect now most of the time rebooting after changing the extensions folder would force this but you can also i've
0: I've seen that in the console a lot of times if i made changes to kernel extensions when i reboot and look in the console it'll say oh well what's cached and what's there doesn't match so i'm going to rebuild the cache for you okay and it kind of does it yeah, I think that, that's what should happen. It should.
1: You can force it, though, with something like Onyx, which will allow yes. you to, to remove the, the text cache and then it will rebuild it. So that's that's one way of doing it. Um, there there are there are others. Um, I want to mention, actually, both Shabden and Julian in the chat room had the same idea. Plug uh, a. Either a pair of headphones or just an audio jack, you know, snip off the cord from an old broken pair of earphones and just plug the audio jack into your Mac's sound output port that will disable the speakers. Now, again, the kids could just pull the the thing out. And and now the problem is, is, uh, is,
0: but they're, they're their elec- solved, but electrically that's happening. So electrically, if yeah. you, if you insert something into the headphone or sound output jack, uh, on pretty much any Mac, I think it will disable the internal speakers.
1: So it, yeah, it, um, it didn't it should, used to right? be a hardware thing. It, it years ago, you could actually have the internal speakers and a headphone going simultaneously. If you knew the kind of the magic way of doing it, but now it is impossible via hardware to do that. So, so yeah, that, that will, that will do it. Um, another thing that you can do is if you go into system preferences, uh, you can go to, Um, sound and Mm -hmm. you can choose another sound output device. Now it's possible that you only have one sound output device uh, because that's what your Mac is, is all your Mac has. Yeah. So I see headphones on my mini and that's it. Right. Because you have headphones plugged in. Now if you unplugged headphones, it would actually would say nothing because you don't have, um, (laughs) you don't have speakers in the mini. Right. But, uh, but well, if you no, had, there's an internal speaker in there. Is there an internal speaker in the mini? Okay. So it would move back to speaker. All I know. Is, okay. Yeah. All I know is when
0: I restart it and uh, no, when I restart it, I hear a chime and it's not uh, Yeah. If I'm unplugged, I, I'm almost positive. There's a speaker in there anyways, but yeah. besides the point. So
1: continue. that, that would, that would do. Um, so you, so you could, you, if you only, if you don't have another device to, um, another audio device to route the sound to. You could uh, create one or install one, and and something called Soundflower is probably the easiest thing to install. It's actually a way of routing audio in different different uh, paths, but uh, but Soundflower will work for um for for this purpose. If you just set the output device to Soundflower, then it, the sound will not go to the speakers. And so that's another way of, of doing it. Um, As, as, uh, as Bruce though, points out in the chat room, the question here is not about disabling the sound system wide. It is about disabling the sound in the uh, guest account only. Now um, the guest accounts, an interesting account because you can't set startup items for it. Um, So it's, it's very difficult to do anything on a per account basis there. However, if you create a kid's account, then you can set startup items. And one of the things that you could set would be something like, say, Audio Hijack Pro, and you could have Audio Hijack hijack all system sounds and just mute them. And that way, no matter what the kids do with the volume knob, uh, it would mute the sound. Now, of course, they'd see Audio Hijack Pro running and they might just quit it. And then, of course, that would uh, mitigate their their issue but that's yet another way to do it um would be to, to do it via software and one final way to do it via software i think parental controls gives you the ability to control sound uh so that would certainly be something to look into
0: you know i looked through that dave and as you far did. as i could tell there was not a spit which surprised me because it, it does seem to be something you'd you want to be able to set but no i looked through it because the guest account actually lets you set Um, parental controls on it if you want to right right no i looked through that no i was thinking that i'm like oh this is the way to do it parental controls will you know cut out all that damn noise but uh, i i didn't see an explicit option i may have missed it but i didn't see anything in parental controls that would let you control that though there's a wealth of things in parental controls that it will let you um Okay. Control. And actually I was impressed, you know, as far as you know websites uh, you know, can go to and logging and all sorts of stuff and I don't know. I would guess you're probably past the point right now Dave where uh, you you implement parental controls. Uh, no. technologically.
1: We, yeah, I the only real parental control that I've ever uh implemented is using open DNS to keep uh frankly to keep the kids from accidentally <laughs> stumbling onto you know porn sites or, or the whatever filth, yeah. yeah yeah and, and open dns has worked f- flawlessly for us for that mm-hmm. so yeah
0: okay do they actually have an explicit option like you know uh, uh, do not resolve uh, you know adult material
1: yeah yeah you okay. can totally so you, it just
0: it, it'll just come up it, it'll just fail
1: right yeah it just won't won't it, go to the site it comes back and says your administrator has this site is categorized as whatever <laughs> adult content your administrator has disabled that and, and that's that. Yeah. And if if it's that important, then then someone would come to you.
0: That's <laughs> the, right. The administrator. Yes. And say, yes, I'd like to get to this site.
1: Yeah. And we've seen okay, that good. where there's been some, you know, stuff they're looking at for yeah. school that's miscategorized or whatever. And you can whitelist mm-hmm. do- domains or blacklist domains. Oh, open okay. DNS is great for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I highly recommend it for for anyone, even even if you're not looking to specifically, you know, block porn or whatever. cool. That's good. Yeah. Or,
0: and then, you know, the other part of this or, yeah, it may not be appropriate, but you know, restructure the, uh, or, or just yell at those kids. I mean, come on, <laughs> doesn't that work? No yelling. You at know, them they're making works. noise. You just, they're making noise. So you yell at them to yeah. stop making noise. Good luck. If that doesn't work.
1: Good yeah. luck. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, we had a question from, uh, another John and he asks, um, let me let me see if I can. Uh, oh, th- 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 I like th- this one.
0: Yeah, I don't think I answered it. I wanted to, but but I think it's a gr- it's great for a discussion.
1: He asks, uh, I'd love to hear a discussion about number one, how to shop and recognize better quality external hard drives. Are there regular regular quality and premium quality hard drives for consumers to buy? And number two, is there a rule of thumb that you or the hard drive industry uh, uses as when it is smart to replace a hard drive to reduce the chance of failure two years, three years, or is there some uh, other metric that you use? So in essence, what he's asking uh, with question number one is how do geeks, uh, IE us shop for hard drives and uh, I'll, I'll kick it off here, but, uh, but really, you know, I don't, I don't think there's anything special that I do, but I will explain the process because I've been through it a lot. I uh, first figure out, obviously, how big of a drive I need and whether or not I care more about volume, like like the the actual sound, uh, the amount of noise that comes out of the drive, uh, Where whether I care about speed. I figure out what my priorities are for this drive and then, of course, size and price, right? Because, you know, you, you kind of get to have maybe two, but not everything. So if I, you know, if I'm looking for a drive that's going to be, near like like you said in your tv room or maybe near your television or or whatever somewhere where you're going to hear it all the time i might not want to go with you know a 10,000 rpm drive or a 7200 rpm drive i may want to go with something 5400 but even then i will look at specs and make sure the decibels on it are are low and for an external hard drive whether or not the uh, enclosure has a fan in it is going to make a big difference for for me in that regard um, because you can get away with using an enclosure that doesn't have a fan. And obviously that saves you, um, uh, noise. So that's, you know, number one, if I want speed and that's a priority, well, then I'm probably actually looking at something much, much quieter in an SSD. Uh, but if, you know, again, if price factors into that, then I might go, you know, for a 7,200 or even a 10,000, uh, uh, RPM drive, because those are going to allow me to, to get more raw speed out of them. Um, and, uh, and then of course size, I, I look for size, you know, whatever size I need always as big as I can possibly get, because I know I'm going to need more down the road. But, uh, as far as manufacturers go, that's really where it comes down to, uh, for me, once I've kind of pulled all the factors together, I've had good luck with Seagate drives. I've had good luck with Western digital drives, um, Hitachi drives have always been kind of flaky for me in my experience, but you know, I'm one guy. So I, you know, I've seen a lot of drives out there. Um, I've also warrantied quite a few hard drives in my day for both myself and customers. And, uh, Seagate and WD have been fantastic with, uh, with warranties that really, really fast and, and not a whole lot of headache in convincing them. Yeah, I need you to swap this out. So, uh, so that's, that's sort of my, my thing, John, how do you shop for hard drives? Do you do anything different than than I do?
0: Uh, I think I may in that, so part of the research for hard drives, so, so the question was, or I think the the basis of the question, let me bring up the question in front of me here. Okay. But, you know, is there a a way to uh, differentiate or better quality? Okay. So so this is the thing, and, and I will offer this, David. I think you've dealt this too because you've worked in the enterprise space. So, I would say that yes, there are different classes of hard drives. So if you look at the various vendors, they do have hard drives that they claim are enterprise class. And from what I've seen on this, now you got to look at the specs though, and it's not for everyone because they, you know, they can get very technical and and it's, there's a lot of gobbledygook. But basically, there is a metric called MTBF, mean time between failures, that a manufacturer of Pretty much anything can specify saying, okay, well, you know, based on, on the uh, technology we're using and well, basically that's it. (laughs) I mean, there's all sorts of different technology, either software, electrical. uh, Well, in this case, it's more mechanical, I think, or, or SSDs. It's more the flash memory is what, What, based on, you know, using hopefully an industry standard measurement, do you expect to be the time between failures? And again, it's mean time between failures, MTBF. Um, Some manufacturers specify this. Uh, They also may for enterprise level things. And I've searched for this. So you can search for enterprise drives and you will find various vendors will say, well, these are what we consider enterprise drives. And those are meant for applications uh heavy duty applications uh, that, that you know a home user uh, may may not typically uh, uh be doing uh, whether it's being on 24 seven. And I think that's for the most part, what, what a lot of these drives. So, so a lot of these drives where they say they're enterprise drives, it's probably in a data center in a nice computer room and the drive's on all the time. So they, they give this rating and then, you know, so they, they, they do tests and they simulate, you know, beating on the drive and, and say, okay, well, you know, after 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever hours, you may expect this drive to fail. The other thing I would add to this is that you want to use a technology. So, The thing is, any drive, whether it be mechanical or SSD, will eventually fail, as will everything that you own. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry to break the news to you. But everything, not just your computer, but everything will fail eventually. (laughs) Uh, But you want to use a tool to try to uh, help you avoid failure because failure is upsetting. Uh, So so number one, of course, as Dave and I suggest, uh, time and time again, Make backups. But number two, you may want to use something that can uh, proactively or somewhat proactively tell you that something may be wrong. Now, the one, and actually, I just ran into this the other day, Dave, is that I took an older drive that I put in an external enclosure to do an aperture backup. And when I plugged it in, I heard tick, 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 tick. That's a bad sound. Yeah, from a hard drive, especially when. It went away and then it worked again. It's like, oh boy, this is like on the edge. So I I may want to take this specimen and and study it further. So one is if your hard drive makes the clicking noise, at least mechanical drives, that means, okay, it's probably about to die. (laughs) Um, but also there are utilities or technologies that can help you avoid this. So, or, or learn about this. So number one, yeah, the, the, the audio signal that that's the most uh, severe. Number two, you could get something like smart reporter. Smart is a technology where the drive will make a very good attempt to tell you about things that are going wrong with it, but you need a utility. Well, Apple's utilities will report the smart status of a drive uh, like system info, Uh, But or you can get something like Smart Reporter, which I really like, and it'll email you if something's wrong. Um, The other thing is to maybe use something uh, which I really like, Dave, is, you know, we, we love a lot of, you know, the utilities guys make. But ProSoft makes something called Drive Genius and it has a sub utility called Drive Pulse that will do a number of things. Uh, on a regular basis, semi-regular basis, or or a regular basis on the drive. It'll do a surface scan, it'll do an integrity check, and a few other things that can let you know ahead of time, okay, maybe this drive is is starting to die uh, before it just dies. Um, So I guess my suggestions are, again, to summarize. So number one, there are enterprise drives. If you want to pay the extra money and get the extended warranty or better reliability, you can do that. And number two, always make backups. Number three, get some utilities that will uh, try to warn you that something bad will happen. But they, they can only go so far.
1: Yeah, I am. Um, uh, I, I, just one last speak. thing. Yeah, one last thing to add. I, I have not found in, in my experience, limited or not, that uh, the MTBF ratings really mean anything to me. Uh, Okay. well, only because there's so many different we all use drives in different ways. Right. You know, and and we sleep our drives at different times and we you know, we um, store data on them differently and we beat on them differently. And so I've just found I mean, I've had some drives that, you know, that were rated to last much less than others and they lasted longer. You know, it's it's really It's hard to predict with any degree of accuracy how long a drive is going to last you. So really, the best thing to do is to make backups, use something like smart reporter or drive pulse or something that monitors the status on your drive so that you get some advanced warning because it's easier uh, to replace it when you know it's going to fail before it has actually failed. Um, And then and then just, you know, just live with it. And, and use it either until it dies or until, you know, it's about to die and then, and then abandon it and, and move on that. That's what I do. And it's, it really is the best way, you know, trying to predict, it's just not going to work in, if you listen, if you're, if you've got racks of servers over time, you're going to be able to figure out, okay, we know how we, how we beat up our drives and we know that, you know, after four years. This drive, you know, th- these types of drives are going to start to fail. So in that sense, sure, you can start to be proactive about it because it's actually worth your while to do that. But but for us at home where we've got, you know, no more than I mean, even if you have 10 hard drives going at once, there's no real way to tell. You're not doing you don't have enough data for your usage patterns to to tell you. So that's well
0: and that And to wrap this up yeah i think
1: <laughs> yeah no i'm good but the other thing
0: up. i'd mention and you know my first introduction to this so w- working in an enterprise environment i did have encounters with raid so raid as you may or may not know but raid is a technology that will either give you increased speed or increased reliability or both which is ideal So Raid is another thing you may want to consider. Um, Apple offers it in disutility, third-party vendors like Drobo and uh, uh, who's, uh, what's the one you got, Dave, Synology? Yeah, uh, Synology, yep, yep. Yeah, or other people offer enclosures that will offer protection. So if a drive just rolls over and dies immediately, if you're using a a, a certain flavor of Raid, it'll cost you time but the data will not be lost in theory assuming rate is working correctly same with the drobo that that's the way it's supposed to work right so that's another thing to consider even though in the past it's you know been kind of something for for mostly the the you know enterprise geeks building rate arrays um you know drobo and and synology and these other guys i think have brought it to the consumer space where it may make sense because you know the, the thing you to ask yourself is how important is that data i mean if it's yeah, well, it depends. I mean, if it's photos or documents or, you know, financial or whatever stuff, then, yeah, that's probably pretty darn important. You you may want to invest in getting something beyond a simple single hard drive to
1: store your data, because, uh, again, things will fail. Yep. So. Cool. And I, I want to mention very, very quickly, Um, you know, we, we talked about the Drobo 5D, but. Um, Oh, even better! I heard. What about I'm this really thing. excited about is the Drobo yes. 5N. Yeah, and and they they had told me N about it.
0: Stands for network. Yeah, I heard about it too. When I was, when I st- when I stop by, I'm like, so what's new? And they're like, well, something in the network space. Yeah, but
1: continue. You yeah, you no, the, the, the cat's think. out of the bag now, and it's actually going to be oh, good. announced like pricing and you can pre order and all that stuff. I think on December fourth or something or sixth some sometime I think. <laughs> I hope I'm not blowing uh anything form from there but I don't think I am. I th- I think it's I don't know. Sometime soon they're going to have pre-announcements but uh or pre pre-release information but uh but anyway, so yeah, the Drobo 5N, it's good stuff. Um and it, you know, I I'm really curious to see how much better they've made it than the uh the FS cuz the FS had really slow networking networking software in yes. it. And so you know, I'm really curious to see it. So hopefully by the time I get back from, from vacation, we might as well talk about this. Uh, The reason we are not recording next week is because I'm going to be traveling. In fact, I'm going to be traveling from basically next Saturday, the first through the ninth. And on the ninth, we have a crazy plan. I will wake up in Miami aboard um, Royal Caribbean's allure of the seas, which I believe John is still the biggest cruise ship at sea at the moment. So that'll be interesting. Um, But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll end our vacation that day. We'll go to the airport. We'll fly home that night. And this will be it. We're, we're pushing to the later time slot that we will mostly avoid. But it will be the 830 p.m. Sunday night, December 9th. Uh, for those of you that care about the live stream, uh, we will be doing the show. Obviously, I will have no opportunity whatsoever to prepare for that show during the week leading up to it because I won't have Internet access. Uh, however, we have been stockpiling cool stuff found for a long time and uh and so that night is going to be the cool stuff found blowout which i think will be a perfect thing for us to uh for us to do so that that will be may Kev 27 on uh on sunday december 9th so assuming all travel you know things mm-hmm. assuming every uh, assuming the stars align but we should be should be home in time to do that but uh, but that's the plan anyway mm-hmm. um All right, we've got uh, we've got a good question from Gray. Um, And then Ah, I also during the show, I want to talk That's where I wanted to go. I want to talk about this iPad mini here, but uh, but let's do Gray. Let's do Gray quickly and uh, or maybe not quickly. I don't know. But uh, but it is a good (laughs) uh, it is a good email. Uh, Good question. Gray says my wife has begun to receive daily email notifications detailing delays in delivery of messages that she didn't send. The body of the message is obviously spam. The recipient email address is bogus clearly as well. I attached an example, which of course he showed us and he says it's rejected uh, by the server to which it is being sent. I'm becoming frustrated by this. I've scanned my wife's computer with Norton antivirus, which found nothing. Okay. So uh, the short answer is there's nothing you can do about this. Uh, The second half of the shorter answer is there's nothing you did to cause this either. Um, Chances are well, no, there was chances what are you did what you did to cause this is you have an email address. That's right. Yeah. All <laughs> someone has done. Right. So these spammers go out there and harvest email addresses uh, to both send email to, but also to send it from. It is very, very trivial to spoof. The address from which an email comes, you can do it too. just create a mail account on your Mac and put in someone else's addresses, the from address. It's like super, super simple. And then you can send email from them. But it'll be tracked. If you look at the headers of the message, you could see that it came from the IP address that you're on and not the IP address that say that person would have uh, would have sent it from. But these spammers do this because they know that your email address or in this case, your wife's email address is a valid email address. So at some level, some spam filter might let it through saying, hey, yeah, it's coming from a valid address. That's also not in a list of addresses that uh, that we've, you know, blacklisted because of spam. And so uh, it comes through in the the situation that you're seeing, Gray. uh, It's being sent. Someone has sent Uh, spoofing from your wife's address to an address that no longer exists. And so the bounces, unfortunately, don't go back to the spammer. They go back to your wife because her address is listed as the from address. So that's the problem. The good news is mail servers typically fail uh, after five days. That's kind of the default setting. So you'll get one email a day, perhaps uh, from the mail server that you're trying to send it to saying, hey, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And then after five days, it'll say, OK, I'm going to fail permanently. So hopefully, you know, by the time you're even hearing this, the messages have stopped. But at least now you can sleep soundly knowing that there is no uh, there is no virus on your wife's computer blasting out these emails. So there you go. John,
0: anything? Yep. Yep. And the big fun is if you wanted to, Dave, so a little uh, deep dive here into geekiness. If you'd like to connect to a mail server and and see what this consists of. So so Dave suggested that, yes, you can set your from address to anybody. But if if you want to get into this for fun or just to get the low level uh, understanding of what is happening when you send email. Well, you could fire up your old pal Terminal. And now uh, one of the utilities that are available from Terminal is Telnet. Now, Telnet is a way to do a text exchange with another computer. But the fun part is you can tell Telnet to go to other ports here. So I believe what you'd want to do is type in something like Telnet space uh, mail dot whatever dot whatever. And then I believe it's 25, Dave.
1: Yeah. Tells so, it to- yeah, you got to put a space after the the server name and then um, and then connect to port 25. But but a lot of. uh mail sir a lot of ISPs like your home ISP will not let you connect out on port 25 to an external server so you might need to use 587 which is sort of the alternate for right. uh, for 25 it, this kind of stuff is really difficult to talk about uh, because without seeing it but i did find an article on wiki how that talks about sending mail okay. sending email with telnet it this it is- it uses windows uh but but once you launch terminal, it's basically the same. You're typing telnet space and, and, and all of this right. stuff. So we'll because all I'll say notes.
0: is once you initiate a SMTP session, which is with a mail server that has the ability to send something, all you have to do is type mail space from colon and then whoever you want to be. Yeah. Unfortunately when SMTP, although it's a wonderful protocol and it allows billions of people to send email the one thing they didn't put in place because they didn't think of it because they didn't think it'd be an issue is why would anybody want to forge the from address? <laughs> right. And that's the big problem that, that the, 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 the whole problem with that is that they do no, it, it, no authentication to say the from address is valid. They trust you. And, and unfortunately, you know, back in the early days of the internet, everybody trusted that everybody was being legit and wouldn't try to forge anything. But they got that part
1: wrong. They did. Yeah, <laughs> so. it, it's um, it there there are ways, and I don't want to get too deep into this here um, because I don't, I'm not sure how many of you to which it will apply, but. But, um, but there are ways there, there's this whole concept of SPF records or sender policy framework records for your domain, which basically allows you as the, as the domain holder. So like for me, let's say with, you know, Dave, the nerd, right? I own Dave, the Nerd.com and I, I own, well, the company owns MacObserver.com, Right. And, and so we get to say, Hey, uh, these servers are valid servers to, to send mail from our domain. And you can and and it but it's up to the recipient server to say, hey, do I care about if the mail from uh, Dave at MacObserver.com dot com came to, uh, you know, came from a server that is that Mac Observer says is not authorized. And if they want to follow that, then this sender po- follow policy framework thing comes into play and they can decide, yeah, OK, I, I, I want to reject that because Mac Observer says don't trust mail that doesn't come from the mail servers they've de- they've defined. So. So there's some of that. There's also authentication and connecting to mail servers. And, you know, the port 25 you mentioned is sort of trying to be deprecated and and gone, but it'll take a long time because, uh, because there's so much infrastructure that relies on it. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's fun stuff. All right. So, you know, I did, I wanted to talk about this iPad mini. Obviously I've been out there. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I went out there and, uh, and, and was at the event and, and held it for, you know, all of about four minutes and. uh, in the, the, the well-lit, <laughs> well, no, this is important in the well-lit, perfect environment. So you were in the, uh, the, the media pen and they'd let you. The hands-on it. room. That's right. Yeah. 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 And, and it was good. I mean, there were hands-on it, room. Nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, one Apple uh, spokesperson or engineer sometimes per, per unit. Right. So they're there to help you and explain it and stuff. But uh, when I got this and it, it I am sad that I got to send it back uh, soon actually. But, um, when I got it, the first thing I noticed now, remember I've had an iPad since the day it came out, right? The very first one, I then moved to the iPad two. I then moved to the iPad three. I have not moved to the iPad four. I, I it just doesn't make sense to justify that kind of expense for, for not for something that's not going to impact me. But anyway, uh, so I'm very, obviously very comfortable with the retina display now. Very, very accustomed to it. And the first thing I noticed with the iPad mini, um, uh, And not as much in the hands on room, but certainly uh, at home, I took the the backup from my iPad three and restored it onto this iPad mini and shut off my iPad three. So it has been off for like two weeks. And uh, and the, the lack of retina display was jarring at first. It took me about a week to get to the point where it doesn't like bother me every time that I turn it on, I still see it. I'm still very much aware of it. Uh, Doesn't help that my iPhone does have retina and this doesn't right. But, uh, but I got to say the weight of this thing alone and the size, because I can hold it in one hand is huge. Prior to the iPad, I was a, uh, a Kindle user, right? I had a Kindle and I read books on my Kindle. Once I got the iPad, I moved all my books over to the Kindle app on the iPad because it was silly to have two devices. And in the last whatever it is, 3 years, I've found that I've probably read 30% as much as I would have uh prior to getting the iPad. Now, I assumed that this was primarily because the iPad offers distractions, right? I have email that I can check I have Twitter I can look on the web I you know I can follow my ADD brain anywhere notification I, center yay yeah now I have notification center right but I didn't even have that in the beginning but it still it didn't matter you know I just was like nuts with stuff and um and then I got this iPad mini and I obviously put books on it and I started reading and I'm finding that I'm reading a lot more Uh, with this. And it's because it's so lightweight compared to the iPad three. It's easy to hold in one hand and that reading doesn't bother me. Uh, It really, frankly, it bothers me with the, with the iPad, you know, the larger iPad, it's it, I've got to have two hands on the thing. Uh, I've got to, you know, steady this thing. And it's, it's just exhausting to kind of hold up and yeah, I can sort of rest it on my chest in bed or whatever, but it's, it's non-optimal. I, uh, on the iPad mini, I find I'm reading and, and using it a lot in portrait mode. Whereas the, uh, the iPad three, I would use mostly in, in landscape mode. Now I use the iPad mini in both, both modes, but portrait mode is sort of my default mode for this thing. And, uh, again, the weight of it, it's awesome. Now, um, I have been using it as my main iPad for, like I said, two plus weeks. I have not, and this, this is surprising to me. I have not run into a scenario where I thought, oh, Dang it. I don't have a big enough screen to do what I want to do. And honestly, I thought that what I use it for right now, which is while we do Mac key Cab, I use note taker HD um, to bring up the agenda for the show. And then I I use a little stylus pen that I have here in the office to scratch off each uh, agenda item. It's just it, it's electronic paper. Right. It keeps me from printing a page and and then throwing it away. Um, so, uh, but I thought, you know, that's much smaller. And so now I'm going to have to fight with, you know, the size of the the screen being smaller and, and being more accurate with the, the stylus, not an issue, not even a little bit of an issue. So, um, and of course the battery life on this thing is, is fantastic. Um, and not having a retina display is probably a big, a big factor there, but, um, mm-hmm. I'm very excited about, about taking it traveling next week and uh and then i have to send it back when as soon as i get back but um i imagine that a day will come where the ipad mini is the only ipad i carry probably within the next year um i'm not in any great rush we'll see how i feel after i have to give this thing back uh and i move back to the ipad 3 but uh, that may change the, what i just said but um you know, certainly if they get to the point like, you know, I may I, I'm going to try and hold out for rev two of the iPad mini, whatever that is. My guess is it hopefully you'll have a retina screen, uh, but it may not. You know, they they may find that at this size, they just don't want to do that. Uh, of course, they did it with the iPhone, so I'm I'm guessing we'll see it here. But um, but it's fantastic. I, I really um, I'm blown away. Actually, I did not expect to be um, to be uh, we, we keeping you up there, John. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I thought I heard you yawning. Maybe you were just drinking, uh, yeah, having a sip, but uh, I, uh, yes. I did not expect to be, I did not expect to be blown away by this thing. And, and I really, really am. It's uh, I had planned to um, use it for a week. And then I was actually going to let my wife use it for a week to get her uh, mm-hmm. opinion on it because uh, she has one on her Christmas list and hopes to get one for Christmas. And, uh. and uh, I have not had time to uh migrate back to my ipad three so that she can test this um and and that's a that's an interesting uh, data point to me that i i just haven't found the time to to migrate back so um it's because i don't want to so uh so yeah very very uh very interesting yeah you, you now you of course have you have you seen an ipad three or do you have any questions about uh what i'm doing with this here john
0: no uh the gist i get is that it's a uh uh between a iPad and a iPhone?
1: Yeah, it it's, <laughs> it's definitely It's not retina. It's definitely an iPad. Right? I mean, it's it's the iPhone is its own thing. And and one thing I will say though is apps that and I don't have many of these. In fact, I I think I launched my first one this morning. I launched Track the Pack, uh which is an app I love. Um but uh just to track boxes and you know, I get push notifications mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But uh but there is no iPad uh version of it. And so I launched track the pack on the iPad and I zoomed it up to two X on the mini. And it's actually, it's not like grotesquely large or anything. It it feels usable on this thing. And uh, so, but it, but it is definitely an iPad. It is not an iPhone. It, you use it more like an iPad than I use it more like an iPad than I do the phone, but it's so darn portable and easy to get around with. And yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm blown away.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well if anything i have to consider it because uh, you know relating to my complaints about uh iphone battery life, mm. i would think this device would have uh, longer battery life versus an iphone oh, but not definitely' as much as an ipad so uh,
1: def- i would it say it has be a good the compromise. same i th- i would say it has the same battery life as my larger ipad Hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's there's enough. I mean, there's there's less screen in here, right? So there doesn't need to be as much battery. So that that was sort of my Mm -hmm. my thinking on it. No, it 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 lasts. I mean, my iPad, I don't measure in hours. I measure in days. And and this thing, I've probably been using it more uh, just as I've been kind of, you know, it's new and shiny. And and so I want to touch it more. But, um, you know, I I've probably charged it twice. In in two and a half weeks, maybe three times. Hmm. I mean, it's just not. Yeah, it's not an issue. So, it's good. It is good. Um, and and as uh, as not allowed to chat in the app in the uh, chat room. Uh, I still would mm-hmm. like to know where that comes from. But uh, it, but as as that person points out, it looks more reasonable uh, to use the camera on this as a video camera than it does the full size iPad. And I would. Uh, right. Because I, I would agree with that. Yeah.
0: Is anybody taking pictures with an iPad, just, it looks, I'm it sorry, in funny. public, you look like a dork. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it just, true. It looks funny. There's yeah. no getting around it. Nope. You just, it's its not a camera, even though it has a camera in it. Right. <laughs> I guess that's the problem right there. Right. you right. got to tape over that camera, kids. All right?
1: Yeah. All right. Uh, we have... Three tips that we're going to share here. I know we're over an hour, uh we're almost Yay. an hour and ten, but uh, but I want to share three tips before we wrap this uh before we wrap this up. So I'm going to go to Joe. And Joe has uh he says, This is a warning. Do not, under any circumstances, press the autofill button in iTunes out of curiosity. Unless. Uh you go into the settings tab of said autofill page window and choose something other than music. It says I'm watching my entire library sync to my iPad as I write this. Imagine picking back through thousands of songs to get back to what I actually wanted on there. So the autofill button is uh when you have an iPod uh or in this case an iPad, right? iTunes doesn't care. Uh and you just want to tell it yeah, put everything there or put as much as you can fit on there. And uh and obviously if that's what you want then great, but there is no warning after you click the button. It just does it and kind of forgets all of your your previous settings and there is no way to go back. So, uh yeah, so be aware of that. I um to 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 help prevent any uh um to help prevent the, the situation that Joe's in now. I actually for the devices that I don't just put everything on um I use playlists to manage what I put on the iPad or, or on the, I mean, now I use iTunes match, but you know, like on the little iPad, iPod nanos or whatever. I create playlists for those. And, uh and so if I did accidentally hit autofill, I could just turn that off and then say, no, only put this playlist out there. And now I'm back in business and, and it's a smart playlist or you can build it with smart playlists. And so it's helpful. So that's, but yes, good advice, Joe. I'm uh I'm with you on that. Any thoughts before we go to the next tip? Nope. Okay. Uh, This is a little bit of a long story from Kevin, but, uh, but no, it's not too bad. He says, I've been meaning to write this up for some time, but I haven't had a chance to do so until now. Uh, A while back, I tweeted that carbon copy cloner had saved my bacon. And that's completely true. But the actual story is a little more convoluted. And I thought I would share it with you and your listeners. It all started when I bought a 2011 Mac mini last May. I had previously had a 2009 mini and had it tricked out with an SSD and eight gigs of Ram. It was a hot machine for a core two duo mini. When I bought the new Mac, I immediately went to my local computer parts store and bought some discounted Ram that fit the OS specs required for the new Mac. I also bought and installed a new SSD, replacing the original 5,400 drive for some time. I had no problems. Suddenly though, I began having problems with kernel panics. I couldn't find a common denominator until I pulled up disc utility and ran disc first date against the SSD. Sure enough, there was severe corruption. As I stated at the time, I had my SSD backing up on a daily basis to a USB drive using Carbon Copy Cloner. I also used Time Machine, but as you've pointed out many times, it is useless for getting a computer up and running again quickly. I booted the Mac from the clone, repaired the internal drive. Not but a day later, I came up with the same problem again. Luckily, I had disconnected the good external drive in anticipation that the problem would recur. I rebooted the Mac Mini using the external drive, and this time I wiped the internal drive and copied the external drive contents over to the SSD again. Again, I disconnected the external drive and ran the computer for just a few hours before the problem surfaced yet again. Yep, uh, I had an old copy of Drive Genius, so I upgraded it to version 3 and used it to analyze the SSD. I also re-ran the firmware loader for the SSD to make sure it had the proper firmware. Nothing was found. And so I finally got around to running Apple hardware test. The diagnosis, the Ram was faulty. All of that because I bought cheap Ram. Luckily I kept the receipt and took the Ram back and exchange it for some crucial memory that cost, I think about five bucks more problem solved. And it has not come back since I learned the hard way that cheap Ram isn't worth the few dollars you might save. And that listening to your advice about having a bootable, bootable backup is worth more than you can imagine. Yeah, indeed. Thanks for the story, Kevin. That's um. It's true. You, you know, um, it, the good thing is you bought Ram from uh, a, a reputable vendor, right? Your local store in this case, but, but it could be true online as well. Ram does go bad sometimes even Ram from rep, you know, from, from known manufacturers. So it may be that your Ram was just fine and it, it shorted out or it may be that it was sort of faulty from the beginning, but being able to get, if you can buy Ram that has a lifetime warranty And all RAM should come with a lifetime warranty. If you can't find that from the vendor you're looking at, look elsewhere, because most vendors will give you a lifetime warranty on RAM. And uh, and sometimes you have to use it. And that's just how it goes. Uh, So, yeah, good, uh, good story. Kernel panics are often the result of of bad, bad RAM. Not always. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that certainly pops up on the list when you have recurring kernel panics. So thoughts on that, Mr. Brown?
0: (laughs) and it's annoying oh lots of th- oh boy yeah. get the pipe ready so the floodgates
1: the whatever floodgates. so right.
0: so i did find an article so i did find a uh apple support article which you can always find at support.apple.com slash kb and then the article number ht 1651 how to remove or install memory on your macbook the one thing, I, the, one of the things I would point out is that there are many flavors of RAM, and not all of them work in all machines. So, one thing is that this support article will tell you the specific, and you want to follow every part of the specification: is the type of RAM, the size, the number of pins, and maybe the error correction technology, because there are. Uh, error correction technologies in memory that may or may not work with a Mac or another computer, be it a Mac or a PC, because they're not equipped to understand or handle it. So, as I think we implied, you want to make sure to get RAM from a vendor that understands or claims to support the Mac. So if you do get RAM that is not quite the right type, (laughs) you can return it. Uh, the other thing, Dave, uh, you know, I I I hope you have this off the top of your head, but there is a utility on the Mac. I think it's a Unix command line thing that will test the. Um, yeah, it's uh, called MemTest. Uh, MemTest, which yeah. is a more thorough memory test than. Uh, so I, I but, would say but Mac, Apple but, hardware test is is a a good start. So that's a utility that is, as as you may know, is included probably on the boot DVD or you may have to hold down a, a special key, but it's usually on the disks that come with your computer something called Apple hardware test or you may be able to invoke it uh, by holding down something like H I think on something was racks. D or D for diagnostics and yeah. it would boot the Apple hardware test. And then it would run and it would say, and, and actually the, the thing, if, if you are concerned about memory tests, it would come up and say, Hey, you want me to do a express test or a really you know, deep test? And the deep test, if anything, will detect the, uh, the RAM
1: errors. So. Yeah. Mem test, just to be, just to clarify in case it wasn't clear, that is not, installed by default on your Mac, you have to install it. Applejack yeah. um, would put it on there and you can also just go get it, uh, directly and we'll put a, a link in the show notes about mem test. But, uh, but yeah, now MemTest is good. I, I, I like that. It allows you to test more of your Ram than any other yeah. utility. So, all right. One last one, John, that, uh, we actually wrote up on yeah. TMO this week because, uh, Because I hadn't seen anybody else talk about it, but um, USB, USB three can cause Wi-Fi and Bluetooth interference. And there's actually a a white paper from Intel uh, about this. And Apple's USB three FAQ also says it uh, that some USB three devices, specifically USB hard drives, uh, can generate radio frequency interference that can cause Wi-Fi and Bluetooth devices operating in the 2.4 gigahertz band to have issues communicating with your computer. Do not place hard drives or other USB devices behind the rear of your Mac near the hinge of your screen. And the antennas for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth Bluetooth are located there and USB 3.0 devices placed there may interfere with your wireless connections. So the idea is to get your, especially hard drives, away from the back of your your Mac. And uh, I think, you know, even just a foot or two Uh, putting it off to the side or what have you, it should help mitigate some of that. But very interesting. I hadn't, I had not heard about this before, but like I said, there's white papers and um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a phony baloney problem. It's, it's the real deal. In fact, uh, Brad who, who sent this into us said uh, his dad had this affect him recently. Brad says, I thought it was a faulty wireless mouse, but it turned out to be his new USB three external hard drive. Try figuring that one out during troubleshooting. Yeah that's uh so hopefully we've thanks brad we've hopefully we've saved at least somebody else out there from you know scratching their head and saying this wouldn't possibly cause any trouble but in fact it does oh my god i know you know i'm just
0: scratching my head over this because it, it's the kind, <laughs> i don't know it's the kind of thing you would look for it's like gee should we make a technology that that uh causes radiation in a band that is already used by Lots of other devices like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Yeah, sure. I, I know. It's crazy. I, I, I don't know. I, I I I just don't get this. I mean. I, yep. They, I, they, they were probably using parts that were common with other computer implementations of wireless or whatever, but it's like, or, or you know, bus technologies, but it's like did anybody check that I I I find the whole story perplexing because you you would think that somebody would have figured this out before releasing it to the the public at large oh by the way you know our new USB 3 clobbers your 2.4 gigahertz uh, Wi-Fi it's like what (laughs) yeah I I don't I don't get
1: it Yeah. yeah it's crazy
0: but we got but we heard about it and others have so
1: yeah yeah warning yeah warning that's right all right well i think it's time john as we said for what this will be the uh the next show that we do will be on december 9th so uh next month that's right yeah that will be it will be the first show of december i don't know if i can handle this uh yeah you get the week off john as do i well no i don't well from you from this yeah that's good (laughs) No, from you. Yeah, that's right. You get the week off from me. I see. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, How to contact us. You always want to know about this. So uh, I'll start. There's email, Dave. You can email us at feedback at
1: com. Feedback at com is the way to email us. It's an awesome way to email us. And I will triple that.
0: Feedback at MacGeekApp.com. But that's not the only email address. There is another one, Dave, that I've heard of recently through rumors and innuendo. Premium at MacGeekApp.com.
1: That's right. Premium at MacGeekApp.com is reserved for those of you that are our premium subscribers. Uh, Premium is set up primarily, uh, frankly, to help you, uh, to allow you to support the show directly if uh, you choose to do so. MacGeekGub.com slash premium has all of the details about this. You can check this out. We have uh there's essentially three ways that you can contribute. Uh number one is you can do what the plan that we've always had, which is twenty-five bucks every six months. Uh there is also a ten dollar a month plan. Uh and that may seem strange. You may say, well, why would I want to do one versus the other? And I'll explain. Uh, then there's also a, uh, a one-time donation of any uh, amount that, that you would like to make. Now you ask, why would you have different amounts? Well, first of all, you asked for them, so we provided them. But there's also uh, a little bit of uh, incentive and, and thanks for every $100 that you donate, and it could be $100 all at once, uh, and we've certainly had several of you do that, and we very much appreciate it, uh, or it could be $100 over the course of, say, two years, but once you hit that $100 threshold, and each time you hit that $100 threshold, you are uh, eligible to receive whatever the next gift is that we send out, and we'll, like I said, we'll probably be doing these sometime mid December. We'll be kind of closing the uh, the the window, uh, the current window, and and then sending uh, sending these gifts out to all of you, no matter where you are in the world. We will uh, make sure to include you on this. It is our way of uh, of saying thanks and uh, and taking a little bit of that uh, that you send us and putting it back towards uh, towards you. Obviously, the point of premium is, uh, frankly, to to help support the show financially. And so uh, so most of the money actually does go to John and I for uh, various things, the stuff we need for the show, and then also, you know, helps us pay our mortgages. And that is very much appreciated because we like to do this every week. So um, so that's premium. And you get to email premium at com. That is actually probably the biggest benefit of this. That is a prioritized email address that you have access to, When you're a premium subscriber, as long as your subscription is active. So, there you go. Did I I explain that well, John?
0: uh, I think you said premium at MacGap.com, Dave. Just want to make
1: sure. I did that. That's right. Good. All right. Outstanding. You can call us. 206-666-GEEK is the phone number to call us.
0: 4335. You can also. uh, We are on the Twitters. So, I am John F. Run. He is Dave Hamilton uh, The guy in the sky
1: is Pilot Pete He's actually in the uh, chat room the sh- at the moment
0: Oh, he is He oh is, hi goodness. Pete Hi Pete, oh I see him there <laughs> um, The uh, the show is Gab And uh, the publication uh, Virtual as it is Is Mac Observer <laughs> So, all those Twitter things But not only do you get that Dave You also get Facebook Can, can you believe it? Yeah, so Facebook, if you go to Facebook.com and you went to Facebook.com slash
1: MacGeekGab, you probably find the Facebook account for the show. I think you would find the Facebook account for the show. There is one last way you can contact Good. us that, uh, that I can think of at the moment. No way. Yeah, and that's the MacGeekGab iOS app. Go ahead uh, and, and check that out. Uh, we will put a link, of course, in the show notes. But uh, but it not only allows you to contact us, you can send if you're a premium member, it'll it'll route you to the premium queue, but you can send email, you can send audio comments. And if you're listening to the show at the moment that you choose to contact us, it will actually tag it uh, with the chapter and the timestamp of the show you were in so that we know what you're talking about or you know where you were, especially if it's in reference to something you heard in the show now though the app we just added the ability to hear the, the live stream and uh and there's some been some bugs with that but uh, of course Corey is working on those and with the help of of many of you actually uh figuring out those bugs and i think it actually he's got them licked so hopefully we'll push another version of the app out uh, not too uh in the not too distant future here to to resolve that so yeah check out the mac Geekab app we would appreciate it john i think that's it Right? Anything else? Yeah. think? I think we're good. So uh, I, 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 I want to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast. He puts all of uh, the chapterizing into our shows here, and we very much appreciate that. And of course, we want to thank the folks from CashFly, dot Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth. The podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software pdf pen for iphone ipad and and your mac from smile and of course gazelle.com to send all your stuff back that you uh and and get money for your old stuff i just did that actually earlier tonight check it all out john before we take two weeks off there's gotta be something that you want to share with everyone that's uh that's listening here you betcha it's the season of get caught
0: made up.